Adam and Eve is not giving you 10% off and not 20% off or even 40%. Your discount is even bigger. AdamandEve.com is giving you a whopping 50% off. But why stop there? In addition to 50% off, you also get 10 free gifts. That includes a racy item for him, a sensuous toy for her, and something we know you'll both enjoy. And six extra special bonus items that are sure to rev your engine, pique your curiosity, and even blow you away. And best of all... Free shipping. Always delivered in discreet packaging. So rethink your bedroom routine. Go to adamandeve.com and enter the station's exclusive code at checkout. Miller. And get, you know the discount, 50% off almost any item and 10 tantalizing free gifts. That's Miller. Again, Miller. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. People say puffiness and under-eye bags are the hardest things to get rid of. Till now, introducing Genucel Plant Stem Cell Therapy from Chamonix, specifically targeting eye puffiness and bags. Genucel is incredibly powerful. Natural serum, they guarantee you'll see results in as little as 12 hours or your money back. Listeners see a dramatic improvement in just two weeks. A true Chamonix classic, Genucel contains eight extra ingredients to significantly reduce the appearance of bags and puffiness. Plus, Genucel uses patented plant stem cell technology to improve longevity with brilliant long-term results. Save big right now on Genucel's risk-free introductory offer. Go to lovegenucel.com slash Stephanie, promo code Stephanie at checkout for an extra 10% off. That is lovegenucel.com slash Stephanie. You'll also get the amazing Zotique Deep Correcting Serum free when you order the most popular package today. Chamonix, the best skincare, best results are your money back. Lovegenucel.com slash Stephanie. That is lovegenucel.com slash Stephanie. That code is Stephanie. Oh, what a happy, happy week for happy hour. Whoa, new mm-hmm. criminal yeah. investigation of Trump. Oh, my God, did we forget yeah. that uh, they just new unredacted documents show Rudy Giuliani had electronic, electronic devices, 18 electronic devices seized. That's a lot of surreptitious information that was seized by the FBI. It's despicable. Yes. 18 electronic <laughs> devices. That doesn't look like you're trying to hide anything, does it? Um, no. Giuliani, wow. known to change phones frequently, as you do when you're a giant crook. Um, he mm-hmm. left a voicemail for Lem Parnas' lawyer noting he was getting rid of another phone, but the FBI already had mm-hmm. the information from the iCloud. Old man yells at iCloud. <laughs> oh, dear. TikTok for Rudy. TikTok for Gates. TikTok. And they also got it from the iCloud. Ah, the iCloud. Grandpa. Okay, so it was just a festive, happy week, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, it was. It was a good week. It was a great week. We have Dean Obadala on Happy Hour with his lawyer hat on to talk about all that. And, of course, the Middle East. uh, Okay. It's a lot to get through. And then Olivia Troy, my new best friend, former GOP, who uh, was on the coronavirus task force, uh, turned on... Right, turned on the Trump administration is an anti-Trumper is speaking out uh, about what what has happened to her party. Obviously, the uh, disaster Mm -hmm. of the COVID response. And my new best friend. She was a delight. Yeah. A delight. Dino Badala. <laughs> she was a confection. Mm-hmm. Yes. 
Yes. Anyway, she and Dean mm-hmm. Omidala, a, a, a happy hour twofer, the likes of which have not been seen. I'm just saying. Have fun, kids. You have fun. Speak, drink responsibly. We love you. Okay, we listen. Is there? Like I said, he was created in a laboratory for today's show. He has a lawyer hat yes. to talk about Trump and Giuliani and Gates going to jail, and he's got a little Palestinian hat he's going to put on right now because here he comes. It's good to see you. It's been too long. It took a war for I, me to get back on the show. I, I, shout, I, started, no, I, I will have you know, I shout out your name in the middle of other guests. Eric Bollard on Monday quoted your tweet in his piece, mm-hmm. and I shouted out your name in the middle of uh, interviewing thank you. someone else. It's great, to, it's great to be back on, and you know, I appreciate I appreciate all your support you gave me over the years, and it's great to be on today, even though... It's actually decent news today, not great news. I know. The ceasefire is a good step, we'll but get, a lot more steps have to go forward. We'll get into that, but let's let's go back to how I, you owe everything to me, and you are basically my potsy. You are the spinoff. You're a fantastic show here on SiriusXM Progress. You are my little bubba. I was created by Stephanie Miller in a lab in her apartment years ago, and then released into my own, and she nurtured me like a little baby, and then ultimately I was able to walk and talk, and now I have a show on SiriusXM. Yes. The mirror of yours. Yours is 6 a.m. I'm 6 p.m. I know. We're the bookends. That's right. We're the book. I know. And you're right. I, I read your tweets all the time. I, I feel like because you're a big boy and you have your own show now, I, but you're right. We are going to rectify this and have you on more. Because I feel like you've left, you've left the nest. And I forget sometimes to invite the baby birds back into the nest. But anyway, you are don't literally me, created for this moment. Don't let me start another war, Stephanie, all just right. to get on. Okay. Please. <laughs> but you are, I mean, we've talked to you obviously at length before about, uh, you are, you have a Palestinian father and a, and your mom's Italian. Correct. So just, just my, my takeaway is don't with you in any way. Just don't. Exactly. <laughs> okay, but this you not... you said your Palestinian dad was uh, born in the 30s and what was then Palestine, but now the West Bank. So you mm-hmm. know you obviously have. Uh, um, you tweeted the time for denying Palestinian humanity must end. It's 2021. A homeland for Palestinian Christians and Muslims is long overdue, as is safety and equality for Palestinians. So. You know, Dean, you're going to have a unique take on this, but also I think the cycles are also exhausting and sort of hard to understand for the rest of us, right? Like you say, we have a ceasefire, fingers crossed, right? Will will this one hold, first of all, do you think? I think it's going to hold for at least the near term because there's no upside for either side to continue. The Netanyahu politically got what he wanted out of it. He's really on the edge of being out as prime minister. And this makes him more popular, so maybe he can get back in. For Hamas, they have their own metrics for success. I'm not a fan of Hamas at all. They're horrible. Yeah. But the Palestinian people who live, the two million who live in, in Gaza are human beings. And that's all that's lost when we just talk about Hamas. We don't talk about the humanity. Same thing in the West Bank. My family's from the West Bank. There's three million plus Palestinians there, Christians and Muslims. The humanity of what's going on is lost because the headlines, we all talk about the topic. Headlines fade. People go back to lives, but the Palestinians are ignored. And the occupation they live under doesn't take a break. There's no vacation from the occupation for the yeah. Palestinians. So I'm hoping as we go forward, and President Biden said it yesterday, investing in Gaza, which is really important, but also in, in focusing on human rights and civil rights for the Palestinians in the West Bank and East Jerusalem, 
and Gaza. And that's the first step to actually getting a peace deal, a real peace deal, that's down the road. First step right now, human rights, civil rights, so people have freedom of movement, freedom to dream, and it's not cruel. Now, you understand this better than I do. I thought Jared had solved all this, no? Jared Kushner, I, I, you know, you would have thought that guy, he was so multitasking. Mm-hmm. I don't know what Kushner did. He did get certain Arab states to make a deal with Israel, but it wasn't based on the people in the state, the nation. These were essentially dictators or kings saying, yeah, you're going to give us money or we can buy military weapons from America, so we'll agree to this deal. But it's a, it is a hard conflict to solve and that we don't know what the solution would be. Is it two right. states? Palestine and Israel? Is it a federation? Is it one big state? Everyone gets to vote? Yeah. That's down the road. Well, what I really want... Go ahead, Steph. Oh, no, I was going to say, my understanding of it is he made peace between uh, people that were not at war. I said, like, he, he, he right. brokered a truce between uh, Tarzana and uh, uh, Sherman Oaks. Like, I don't... Right, he did. Right. So, because... <laughs> no, he just together who weren't fighting. Just so people understand, because honestly, I think we all have a limited understanding. You certainly understand much more about this than I think most people, because I said yesterday, it just seems to me that, uh, you mentioned Hamas, that they're not a partner for peace. Most Palestinians right. don't support Hamas. And Netanyahu's a far-right crook, like Trump. And, you know, I, I just... I don't feel like either of them are partners for peace. Is In my memory, weren't we closest under Bill Clinton... Like, weren't we, we closest to an actual... Tell us what happened then, real quick. We we were in 2000. I think for this next segment, I'll do it with an Arabic accent to sound more authentic. Oh, fantastic. In 2000, Stephanie, Habibti, what happened then is the parties could not get along. They wanted, but no. No, here's the, the reality is that, look, in 2000, did they get close to a peace deal? They did. Uh, did, at the time, Arafat, who was leading the Palestinians, say no to parts of the deal? Yeah, it wasn't like this generous deal, as people say, but it was a deal. That's 21 years ago. Yeah. So now, because I have people on the right go, Arafat said no 21 years ago. So so your point is every Palestinian Christian and Muslim going forward, it can never have self-determination because of that? Come on. Well, so, I mean, yeah. You, I mean, I, I think you sort of, you talked about it, that it's it just, but I feel like that was the last, well, it just feels that like, the, the that, like we, we seem like an honest close. broker that is not, you know, right. so one-sided mm-hmm. in the U.S. that really... I mean, I just think whatever it is, like you're right, it has to be some sort of two-state solution that, that it just feels like, are we farther away than ever? Or where are we? You actually talked about in your piece, you talked about progress. You said unthinkable a decade ago, last week, a diverse group of 25 Democratic House members called on Biden to condemn, um, you know, talking about evicting people from their homes in East Jerusalem. Um, Thursday, right. a group of House Democrats rallied in support of Palestinian human rights. So that's like different movement and rhetoric than you're used to hearing here, right? Yet seven years ago, the last time the Gaza Hamas had big fighting, you saw a handful of Democrats speak out about the humanity of Palestinians. Now you see much more. And I even got an email from the Jewish Democratic group in Congress saying it's no longer a binary choice. You don't be pro-Israel, pro-Palestinian. You can be pro-both humanity of both people. And, And that's a big change because I think that brings us closer to peace. If you don't view Palestinians as human beings, then you're not going to care if they don't have human rights. You're not going to care if they have yeah. no freedom of movement or in Gaza, no right. running water, electricity. And conversely, if you view Israelis as lacking humanity, you're not going to care if missiles get shot at them. We've got to come at this from a place of humanity. Not, it's not equality. Israel has all the power. The Palestinians don't have the power. Even though our destinies are intertwined, it's not an equal situation in power structure or resources or in suffering. But I think that 
people understand there's six, about 7 million Israelis who are Jewish in Israel, about 6.5 million Palestinians. Neither side's going anywhere. No one's going yeah. into the sea. No one's leaving. You're stuck with each other. It doesn't matter. It's like a reality show or a sitcom. Like they're stuck and you can't. So the question is, how can you coexist in a way that is peaceful and respectful and recognizes the humanity of the Palestinians and gives them rights? We can get to sovereignty later in that kind of self-determination. My family in the West Bank doesn't have personal self-determination, meaning if checkpoints are closed by the Israeli military, they can't go to work. Yeah. They can't go to school. They can't go to doctor. They've done nothing wrong. Yeah. They're just living their yeah. lives. Imagine that kind of life where you have... I mean, it's a, per, it's a prison. Yeah, it's a, it's essentially prison. It's I mean, humanity. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, you've said the same thing. I think I just said you wrote bluntly, a broad peace deal currently looks all but impossible given the leadership. Who can Israeli officials speak uh, with Hamas in uh, within Hamas? Conversely, when it comes to the Palestinians in the West Bank, who could be their partner for peace when current uh, Netanyahu has declared there will be no Palestinian state on his watch and has vowed to annex large swaths of the West Bank? I mean, in that sense, that's what I mean about I feel like we're farther apart. Like we used, you know, I mean, I feel like at least the U.S. used to say stop building settlements. You know what I mean? Like try, there was some sort of, you know, we didn't move the, you know, what do you call it? Embassy to Jerusalem without getting anything in return, just giving that, you know, I mean, it just seems like we're not, we don't have any partners for peace right now. And I just don't know. It's just depressing, isn't it? It must be amazingly depressing for you. It, it is, but the, the flip side is I've never as I wrote in the article, never seen more members of Congress who are Democrats, even senators as well, calling for the ceasefire, talk, with President Biden talking about investing in Gaza. For the longest time, Gaza, the people there were dismissed as two million terrorists. That's not the case. There are terrorists in Hamas, but they are human beings there who are living there and trying to make a life. And look at the West Bank. You don't see missiles being fired. You see, because there's economic progress going on, there's new shopping malls and hotels people have jobs, right. still their freedom are limited. Gaza, 80% are on international aid. 90% don't have access to running water. They don't have electricity. Think about it. If you have no future, yeah. this is not even political, common sense. You have no future, then the message of radicalization is so much easier because you've got nothing, literally nothing to live for, nothing to look forward to. Because yeah. Gaza is fully controlled by in, ingress and egress by the Israeli military, and they're not letting seems the Palestinians out. Yeah, it seems like it's in everybody's interest to find a way to make that yeah. situation less desperate for people, because desperate people don't yeah. have many options. Let, let's listen real quick, President Biden, and get your take on sure. that. The United States committed to working with the United Nations, and we remain committed to working with the United Nations and other international stakeholders to provide rapid humanitarian assistance and to marshal international support for the people of Gaza and the Gazan reconstruction efforts. We will do this in full partnership with the Palestinian Authority, not Hamas, Authority, in a manner that does not permit Hamas to simply restock its military arsenal. Yeah, I was like, good for the rebuilding, and I'm like, aren't they just going to bomb it again? <laughs> right. Until we find a solution, until we find, right? You're, Stephanie, you're absolutely right. That You're going to do the same thing over that idea of insanity. I think it was for the same thing over and hope for a different result. Yeah. You can't, you know, it's got to be rebuilding. That's one thing. But look, Moshe Dayan, who was an Israeli general, said, when you want to make peace, you don't talk to your friends, you talk to your enemies. Yeah. At, at this point, Hamas, either new leadership, which I don't think is going to happen, or you, you invest in the, in the country and to the people there and try to bring them in diplomatically, little step by step, and you have to have them denounce terrorism. 
but that could be step two or three. Let's yeah. view that you, if you want a different result, you can't just do something different. Yes, yes. And what? five years later, there's missiles and you blow up everything we just built for you. This is yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. It doesn't make and sense. Waste of money and right. I mean, the, 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 the thought is good, but yeah. One more, President Biden, get your take on the other side. I believe sure. the Palestinians and Israelis equally deserve to live safely and securely and to enjoy equal measures of freedom, prosperity, and democracy. My administration will continue our quiet, relentless diplomacy toward that end. I believe we have a genuine opportunity to make progress, and I'm committed to working for it. So, Joe Biden, he's listening, obviously. Dean, what would you say to President Biden? Because how do we, <laughs> yeah. you know, how do we do something that looks different? First of all, quiet diplomacy on the phone, not on Twitter. A start. Right. Very good. Very good. <laughs> but, um, you know, do, do we cut off weapon sales? What are what do you say to President Biden to try and really... I think if he wants to invest in the Palestinian people, build me a new townhouse in New York City first on Manhattan. Yes, we'll start with Dean Obadala. That's how we that, the road to the peace in the middle in the Middle East goes runs I, through Dean Obadala's penthouse in New York. If I feel safe and secure, everyone's happy. That's how it works. So you do that. Let's do it one Palestinian side at a time, starting with Dean Obidala. And then my like, no. I think that you have Congressman Ayanna Presley, who on the yeah. floor of the House last week talked about conditioning the $3.8 billion in aid we give Israel militarily on not a peace deal, on human rights for the Palestinians. I think there'd be broad support in America. Uh, you, you can't force a peace deal today, but you can say, look, if you're going to keep taking homes from Palestinians who have lived there for generations in East Jerusalem, you're going to lose 10% of your money. If you're not going to give freedom to the movement of Palestinians in the West Bank, we're going to take another 10%, or we're going to withhold all of it, and then we're going to give you money when you do the right thing. Yeah, I think that's part of it. But I'd, I'd love to see the U.S. and our European allies get together and incentivize good change for the Palestinians in Gaza, yeah. help the Palestinians in the West Bank, and with Israel, incentivize it as well, either more aid or less aid, depending on their actions. But yeah. I really want the focus to be more short-term in helping human rights and civil rights for Palestinians. Palestinians yeah. need a civil rights act over yeah. there. All right, let's get to the. Right all right, we did. We ate our vegetables. We talked about the Middle East. Let's get to the. Let's get to dessert. Let's get to when is Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, and Matt Gaines going to jail? Put your lawyer hat on now, quickly. <laughs> I, I'm hoping soon. I mean, come on. We, our friend Glenn Kirshner talks about it. He always gives us uh, our hearts flutter. He's like, this summer, Michael Cohen says this summer. I gotta be honest. It's four plus months from the January 6th terrorist attack. Yeah. And the guy who incited that terrorist attack is playing golf. What kind of nation are we? What kind of rule of law do we have? Or the guy who incited a terrorist attack and Christopher Ray, FBI director, called it a terrorist attack. Yeah. Trump incites a terrorist attack and he walks freely and plays golf. This is insanity. It's you, you, charade in our criminal justice system is, is bare for all to see. It's a you joke. tweeted, if bin Laden had been a Republican, today's GOP would have defended him. I keep saying it's like asking al-Qaeda to be on a commission with you, to, to write on a 9-11 commission with you. It's like asking the Nazis, would you like to be on the other side of the Nuremberg trials with us? I mean, it's it's absurd. And they just, what do you vote for? Select committee, special prosecutor, both? What do you think going forward here? I think prison for Trump. If I can vote for that, that would be nice. You know what? I would visit Donald Trump in jail. I'm that kind of person. You're, you I would give. come in and visit him 
And I, no, I wouldn't forgive. I would taunt him. <laughs> it would be a lot of fun. I'm like, remember Muslims? You wanted a ban. Look who's here. I want. I'm here to visit Donald Trump in prison. You know, prisoner 1226. Guess where? There's not a Muslim ban in your prison. Right. Uh-huh. And I bring okay. my Muslim cousins right. and family there. A lot of immigrants with accidents. All right, Dean. We we went way long because it's been too long. So we are going to rectify that. You're going to come yes. back more often. Yeah. And listen, please. I love to be on. And listen to my Sirius XM Progress bookend on the other end of the day, right uh, here on yes. Sirius mm-hmm. XM. We love you, Dino Badala. Love you guys. Great right. to see you. See, really see, thanks, Dean. Great to see you. There he goes, my baby bird. My baby bird, fly away. Well, you know I'm a healthy eater, and eating better is easy with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today. Get after your goals. Two-minute meals. Fuel up fast with Factors' restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are. Pancakes, smoothies. Discover a wide variety of easy options options for the entire day like breakfast, midday bites and more. There's no prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat. No prepping, cooking or cleanup is needed. Flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Head on over to factormeals.com liberal50 and use that code liberal50 to get 50% off. Once again, the code liberal50 at factormeals.com liberal50 for 50% off. Oh, this just feels like it was meant to happen. Uh, Olivia Troy. Well, you know me. I'm a little daddy's girl. My dad uh, ran with Barry Goldwater in 64. I don't know if Olivia knows that. She served in the Trump administration as Vice President Pence, Homeland Security and Counterterrorism Advisor, as well as his lead staffer on the White House Coronavirus Task Force. Um, After, oh, she's a pen girl. Oh, you know, my, me and Penn girls. Okay. Um, it began her career in national security uh, in the, uh, as it, that she served in the Pentagon in the George W. Bush administration. And so in honor of the bipartisan outreach, we're so, all, we're so right searching for these days. This is, we're going to, the time that George Bush sang to me, that's how we're going to bring her on. Yeah, you remember that. Yeah. Oh, Steffi, you're so fine. You're so fine. You blow my mind. Oh, Steffi. Yeah, Steffi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Steffi. You're so fine. You're so fine. You blow my mind. Oh, Steffi. Yeah, Steffi. Oh, Steffi. You're so fine. You're so fine. You blow my mind. Oh, Steffi. Oh, Steffi. What's a boy like me supposed to do? You really try me while <laughs> you get sweaty in this suit. Oh, Steffi. How I love that talk show thing you do. It's hosts like you. Uh, what you do. Steffi, do. Steffi. Up in this suit. Steffi. Okay, that's so weird. She probably hung up. Hi, <laughs> Olivia Troy. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> I just I wanted to start uh, on a bipartisan note and say, compared to Don, Donald Trump, George Bush was a genius, Olivia. And I just <laughs> I just want to start on common ground. So what? Yeah. Would you like to skip right to the part where we where we agree? Well. <laughs> Okay. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I know this is way overdue, and so I'm excited to join you. I know. Me too. Well, I I don't know if you know all that, that my dad ran with Goldwater in 64. He was chairman of the Republican Party. And so, I, you know, I've been here for years saying it. My dad was a Nuremberg prosecutor. I've been here for years saying this is not my dad or Barry Goldwater's party. But you were saying 
before we even went on, you still wake up going, oh, my God, I didn't think there was a new low that this, this version of the Republican Party could do, go to. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, look, the, the party of Lincoln is is no more. That party has left the building, uh, I would say, many years ago, not just recently. And, I, you know, every time I think that they can't um, do something that's more abhorrent or appalling or disturbing, they set a new record for it. And it's just so disturbing to watch because this is a party that I grew up with. I, I You know, I'm a lifelong recovering Republican is how I refer to myself now these days. Um, so I call myself a radically moderate conservative, which means I live in the middle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that is where I am. But I just, just watching the suppression of, of truth and values that is happening here and the hypocrisy that I see every day with some of these more Trump Republicans, as I call them, is just so upsetting. Um, because I think it's just so dangerous overall for democracy. For yeah. Now, and yet, you worked for Donald Trump. Now, let's... <laughs> not to start on an, unpleasant, on an unpleasant note, but what you... I, <laughs> so you went to work for Donald Trump. You worked, obviously, closely with Mike Pence. Um, you famously were on the, the coronavirus task force, and that's what caused you to finally resign and speak out. They're, they're just horrific response to, to coronavirus. But what? How, how were you able to work for Donald Trump in the first place? You seem like such a person of character and principle. Tell us about well, that. What led you to the Trump administration? I, I definitely have the battle scars to, to prove that I was there. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe some PTSD as well, I would say, as I call it, but um, that I live with every day. But really, it was just... Um, you know, like I was a career intelligence officer uh, and I had taken a new role in the assignment at the Department of Homeland Security. Um, and I started in that role a week before Donald Trump was actually elected. And um, so I definitely lived the Trump administration firsthand through the eyes of the Department of Homeland Security and then later the, the eyes of the White House. And, you know, like, I'll be honest, I did not go take a position or assignment on the Trump side of the White House, there's a reason that I did go to the Mike Pence side of the House because I felt like it would be somewhat of a more rational environment in some ways where I might be able to make a difference or at least, you know, you know, I did my job um, to the best of my ability. I know Pence knows that and I was very honest in my approach to it, trying to do whatever I thought was best in a very challenging circumstances. And I think a lot of people went into this thinking, you know, I'll go and I'll try to make a difference and I'll try to steer the ship. But the reality is you find yourself, you know, in a very uphill battle um, and which really for me came to a head, as we said, during the COVID pandemic, where it became a situation where I've seen so many bad things happen in the Trump administration, but this was now actively killing Americans. And there's no way that you can go home at night and sleep and say, yeah, everything's okay. And it, it was just so alarming um, that it really uh, just just gave me pause. And finally, I was like, you know, whatever risk or whatever happens, I'm willing to give up my longtime career for anything. But I just got to do everything I can to stop this thing. Um, and from continuing on. So you've been in a room with that orange sack of triglycerides, I assume, and, <laughs> and Mike Pence, obviously. <laughs> what? Is with my pants that he doesn't speak out against someone that literally they were calling for his execution, Trump supporters. Like, what? what is his deal? And his brother just voted against the commission 
to look into the people that wanted Even to hang like him. That, isn't that shocking? It's like, hey, right. bro, people just tried to kill you, but if you don't mind, I'm going to go along with this because I don't want it investigated because I don't want them asking questions of my dear leader. Right. I mean, that's really, I think, what it comes no. down to. And I think, you know, I think, I really do think that it's the political landscape. And I know that Mike Pence had very significant aspirations for running for the presidency. And I think he looks at it through the lens of 2024. And I just don't know how you can rationalize it and think that you have a chance other than I think he is hoping that the evangelical vote rallies behind him on that side and maybe gets him through it. But but this, is, just, this is a psychotic cult of personality. Yes. They hate him now. They think he's a traitor because Donald Trump said he is, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, uh, if, in the world of QAnon, there's a whole conspiracy theory out there. I've heard about this in some of the chat rooms and whatever where they think that Mike Pence and I were in on it and that we're all a conspiracy against Trump. I mean, that is how far down oh. the rabbit hole I think it's gone. Do you fear, I mean, do you fear for your life a lot of time? I mean, this is just really a crazy mob cult at this point. Yeah, I do. And, and the reason behind that is that I don't see this going away anytime soon. I see the rise of uh, more extremism, especially on the far right and domestic threats, continuing to significantly rise. I, I expect there to be growing violence from some of these groups that who actually think that they're in their right to do this, right? They're, that they're watching elected leaders and they're being they're, they're It's being mainstream and normalized to take these types of actions because they think they're doing it for what's good of the party, what, what's good for the country. Um, and when you have that, that's really a dangerous precedent to set because it's normalizing violence um, in support of, complete disinformation that's being perpetuated by these leaders and far-right networks. Yeah. Olivia, I alluded to that you've been in the room with Trump, right? What? I have. Okay. How how disgusting in person. (laughs) I mean, what is it about him that makes, would make people be cult-like loyal? What what is it like being in the room with him? Is he just as despicable as we imagine? Yes. Um, (laughs) Maybe even more so. Um, He's a bully. I think it's, yeah. he's a bully and he has loyalists around him who, I mean, it's really just sort of like living an episode of House of Cards every single day where you just don't know mm. what they're actually going to do, right? I mean, that's really kind of how it felt, felt in the environment there was, yeah. um, you know, I watched the story break last night about how the Trump DOJ was gathering records on Barbara Starr, you know, a CNN reporter. Mm-hmm. That to me is disturbing because I have to tell you that many of us serving in government were super paranoid and guarded about that, right? The fact that, um, you know, when Miles Taylor wrote that op-ed, the anonymous, I read it in a bathroom stall because I was afraid that there were cameras within the White House who were watching me wow. read it, and then I would be touted out as a traitor. I mean, this is this is not a normal no. environment oh. as a free and, citizen who served in government for 20 years for me to be thinking that, right? And Olivia, you must just be, you know, again, as a lifelong Republican served in the, under Bush, you must just be at least... 2000, you can understand, the Supreme Court appointed him. There were studies that said if they finished the counting, Al Gore won Florida. So it was based on something, right? I mean, it's like 2016, we know there was massive Russian, you know, interference. So it was, ba- but this is based on nothing, this big lie. His attorney yeah, general, his cybersecurity chief, 60 judges appointed by Trump said there was no, it's based on nothing, this big lie. Right. And and yet it is, if anything, according to The Washington Post, it's getting worse. 
It's going to spread from Arizona, who now has to replace all their voting machines because they gave them to cyber ninjas. It's going to other states. They're voting against investigating January 6th. What I mean, this is officially out of control, isn't it? It is. And I'm concerned about what this means going forward for future elections, because really what they're setting is a precedent for uh, undermining our democracy and overturning elections when they don't like the results. And that is really what's happening here. And, you know, I think it's going to take all of us across the board to push back on this and try to stand together um, in upcoming elections, because I think this is just the beginning. I don't see this. You know, if if, if the Republicans can kick Liz Cheney out of leadership. Yeah. Right. Someone who is very conservative in her principles and who votes that way consistently in her voting in Congress. Right. They kicked her out not based on policy. Right. They kicked her out because she's not willing to go along with why. Because she told the truth. Yeah. Which let's not get get into the Iraq war and uh, her dad's lies because oh now we're in a place where we maybe disagree. You said we (laughs) you said we cannot underestimate the magnitude of today's GOP vote on Liz Cheney. It's a sad day for our democracy and it is rock bottom bottom for the former Republican Party of Lincoln. History will be written on those who defended the truth unwaveringly. I mean, it just like I say, Olivia, what do you well, I guess you already said it. You don't see this ending anytime soon, because I just think, like, not only are we all asking you what happened to your GOP, but what happens now? Where's it going? I think, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a very dark period. Um, I don't see this going away for several years. And I, I'm, I'm, I don't shy away from saying that um, straight out. I think Trumpism has a base of the party. It is the party of mega right now. And we'll see that in the primaries and we'll see some dangerous personalities come forward um, who, you know, and then we'll see the people that we knew as the face of the Republican Party previously for many years probably fade um, unless we, you know, we continue. And that's where, you know, I'm part of the accountability project because, you know, you may not agree with their political views, but at least they're willing to govern, right? And they're willing yeah. to stand up for the truth. Right. Yeah. And there, nothing good will ever come of having a bunch of MAGA people on the Republican side of the House but, right, and, 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 in Olivia, terms of leading the country. Yeah, Olivia, I have to ask you, here's the, I, I have so many, I could talk to you for hours, but I have so many questions. For instance, all this criminal stuff, you know, obviously the, we know that Trump is under criminal investigation in two, right, Georgia and New York now. Is What is happening privately? Is there not some private, you know, pants Is there not some Republicans literally themselves thinking, oh, we've tied ourselves to this guy who might be going to prison. I mean, is there any, what's happening privately, do you think? Yeah, I think, you know, the thing about Trump is that there's no loyalty there, right? Everybody knows it. So everyone else around him will go to prison before he ever goes to prison. That I will guarantee. I mean, I can say that straight out, um, that that is who he is. And I think that a lot of these people in the inner circle of Trump see it as like they're invincible. They think that they are above the law, right? I mean, that's certainly the way he ran the country. And I think that when you have that sort of chip on your shoulder that says that you're untouchable, there's no there's no boundary to what you won't or won't will, will do to get out of it. And so I think, you know, I watched Michael Cohen's interviews and he says people will turn on him. I'm mean, yeah, because at the end of the day, everybody knows that he is not going to have your back. And right. so- I want, you know, there's nothing I want more than to see this man behind bars because I'm also concerned about what he's going to do to our future elections. I don't think, you know, he's sitting on the sideline and he's still the pu- pulling the puppet strings. Yeah, yeah. 
I it, yeah. well, listen. I and as a as a security, um, you know, expert, I just was fascinated with this whole January sixth commission and your take. You said, why did it take hours for the National Guard to be deployed to the U.S. Capitol? Why did DHS not do the analysis and issue their usual threat assessment and prep for a major event? Why was there a shocking inadequacy of security on January sixth? What are the facts? A January sixth commission is critical from a national security standpoint. And as you said, this is obviously why they were spying on Barbara Starr, because she was talking about the moves at the Pentagon that could facilitate this coup. What else do you call it? Right. But a coup. Yeah. And look, I think the I think the commission is is, is important because we you know, we did the 9-11 commission to figure out what mistakes were made, where we didn't connect the dots, what we could learn from it. That's why a January 6th commission is important, because what we had here was the intelligence was there. You know, I had been on record about two or three weeks before saying, I do believe that there will be violence on January 6th. And it, it came to fruition. And that morning when I woke up and saw the parameter of the Capitol and the lack of security around it, yeah. I was in shock. I mean, I, I really just sat there and thought, something isn't right. There's no threat assessment that's come out from DHS. There's no, where are the walls of fencing? Like I saw last, you know, the previous summer yeah. where I was walking in the White House and it was a fortress right around DC. None of that was there and why and so and i you know i hope that this commission moves forward um you know and republicans are concerned about it and rightly so because these are probably have members who are going to be implicated as part of it but honestly if you're an american serving in congress for the people then you should want to know what happened and these people should be purged because they are unfit for office mm -hmm. they shouldn't be serving there because basically they're traitors, they're actors against our democracy. Yeah, I don't know how else to put it. Well, right? And we already know he ordered the code red. We already know that he ordered, you know, National Guard to stand down, that he ordered them only to protect the rioters. I mean, there are things that, you know, we know are going to go all the way to the top. And as you, you tweeted, ensuring a national security failure like the U.S. Capitol attack never happens again is why a commission is critical. It's about accountability. Republicans who block efforts to conduct a full investigation of this insurrection are undermining democracy again just like when they voted against certifying the results, it sets up a, a just catastrophic precedent, I, I think, in my opinion, Olivia. But I, I, I just wonder, wh what do you think now? I mean, to me, first of all, they're going to prove why we need to blow up the filibuster because they're going to, we should make them filibuster, right? This talk, do a talking filibuster against January 6th commission. But then what? What's your recommendation? Do we do a select committee like Benghazi? Does Merrick Garland do a special prosecutor? Both? What's your opinion? Yeah, I think there's several avenues to pursue, but I think that we do need it. We need to get to the bottom of this. Um, I think there's a lot of trying to whitewash the truth about what happened. And I think that you're going to see this continue to play out in the coming months. Like Republicans want nothing more than to just put this in the past. They've actually stated this, right? They say we got to move on. Well, no, it's really not that simple because what happened on January 6th was really uh, an attack on our democracy. It was also complete dereliction of duty by a sitting president who put his own vice president's life at risk. I mean, we are looking mm -hmm. at stuff that, you know, of banana republics here. <laughs> this is something that is happening here in the United States. And so I think whichever way we have to get to the bottom of this, then that is the avenue I need to pursue. I mean, I preferred to have a bipartisan commission because traditionally they can, you know, make recommendations, they can take a step back and that's why it's, people coming together and it's maybe perhaps considered less politicized. Look, this is going to be politicized regardless because the Republicans were complicit in a part of it. 
Right. So we, that is part of the I, whole. Olivia, pick your analogy. I keep saying it's like asking Al Qaeda to be on a 9-11 commission with us or Nazis to be on the Nuremberg you know, team with us. It's just they were. You're right. You said they were implicated. They're involved. It, it's I, I just think we have mm-hmm. to stop. We have to be more like you need to advise us. We have to be more like Republicans because Republicans didn't do any of this nonsense. They went right for 33 Benghazi hearings, select committee. Right. I mean, it's just I, 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 anyway, we are about we were destined to be best friends. I mean, I will only admit to voting for John Ronald Reagan <laughs> as a dumb college kid. So it was a long time ago for me. But former GOP. I love pen girls. I mean, this was destined to be a lifelong friendship. So I hope you'll come back uh, anytime, Olivia. I definitely will. All right. I definitely will. Thank you for having me. Thank you so All much. Right. Olivia Troy. Thanks, wow. Olivia. That Thanks, was, Olivia. That was fantastic.